So last week, if you'll remember, uh, Wes took us through the books of Hosea and Joel. Um, today, we're going to continue in the Minor Prophets with, uh, with Amos and Obadiah. Um, so does anybody remember why we call the Minor Prophets minor? Is it because they're less important? They're less significant? less words. Um, so they're not, it's, the minor prophets are not minor compared to the major prophets because they're less significant. Um, it's just that they're shorter in length than those other prof- prophetic books like Isaiah or Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Physically? Um, uh, I don't know about physically. That's a good question, Amber. I don't, I don't know the heights of, um, of the prophets, but length of books. Um, So as we looked at Hosea and Joel last week, uh, we learned through their symbolism about God's judgment, um, but also about his promise to extend grace and mercy and hope. Um, And today we're going to kind of expand on both of those ideas, God's judgment and his extension of grace uh, and mercy. So let me pray for us before we jump. We're going to jump into Amos first. Um, Father, we praise you for your word. Uh, We praise you for the ways that it instructs us uh, for the ways that it, um, it confronts us uh, with hard, hard truths uh, and yet gracious and beautiful and hopeful truths at the same time. Um, so, Father, as we, pray, we pray as we look at Amos and Obadiah this morning uh, that you would use it to uh, shake us out of sin and to conform us more closely into the image of Christ, uh, to call us to greater allegiance to you and to your covenant, Uh, love uh, for us. And Father, we pray that in all things you would uh, raise our affections for Christ, our King, and that you would uh, would be glorified and honored. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, So as we we continue studying uh, the minor prophets, and particularly Amos and Obadiah uh, this morning, it's important that we keep the covenant relationship. Guy, you need these? Uh, so it's really important that we keep the co- God's covenant relationship. We, uh, that we that we keep God's covenant relationship with His people, um, kind of at the forefront of our minds. So virtually everything that the minor prophets say in their their books hits at that nerve center of um, of Yahweh's covenant promises with Israel. Everything that's said in these 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 books could fit kind of in that, that category of covenant. And this shouldn't surprise us uh, because the, the prophets assume that Israel is really the special people of God, called by him to covenant obedience, called to submit to him as king and lord of their lives. Um, and, and just as we saw last week in the book of Hosea, uh, Israel was called to be faithful to Yahweh uh, as a wife is to be faithful to her husband. And yet, as we saw last week, Israel abandons, betrays her husband. Uh, She breaks her covenant vows to the Lord, uh, not just once, but time and time and time again. And because of this, God in his holiness and in his righteousness, he enacts those covenant curses upon his people and judges them for their sin. Uh, So Hosea, last week, uh, spelled it out like this in chapter 8, verse 1. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Uh, So you can hear right there uh, in these minor prophets um, 
how a broken covenant, really, uh, broken wedding vows, frames the entire ministry of the minor prophets. And we're going to see the same thing as we turn to Amos and Obadiah this morning. Um, We're going to see that Israel has broken God's covenant, uh, really in very specific ways. Amos shows us how uh, Israel's violated his covenant economically and morally. We're going to come back to this in a second. Uh, they forgot how their special, their special relationship was, was supposed to affect uh, their wallets and their hearts. Uh, and this had devastating effects on how they treated other people in the covenant community and how they treated God as, uh, as Lord. Um, so as we look at Amos, um, Amos was, a very, was an important prophet. Uh, he's one of the first writing prophets. Uh, So the prophets of the Old Testament who wrote down their prophecies so that we now possess books by their names. Um, So that's kind of different than like Elijah or Elisha's ministry. Um, We learn about Amos in in the very first verse. So look at Amos chapter 1, verse 1. Go ahead and flip there. Um, And there Amos introduces himself. Uh, The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So here we learn that Amos is from the southern kingdom, but his preaching focuses on the north. Uh, And he also tells us that he was preaching during the reign of Uzziah in Judah and Jeroboam in, uh, in Israel. So this puts Amos... Uh, and the writing of this book in roughly the mid-8th century B.C., around 70, 7, 76, 750 B.C. So uh, that would have been right about the time that the Greeks were, uh, were settling Spain. And ju- this is just a few decades before the fall uh, of the northern kingdom and shortly before Isaiah uh, under- undertook his prophetic ministry. So this is, this is a time of economic prosperity, for uh, God's people. It's a time of expansion, uh, and it's a time of security for both kingdoms. Uh, The Assyrians really aren't on the radar yet for uh, God's people, so things are are looking good for uh, for God's people. Um, Amos is also going to give us a little bit of personal information about himself, which is pretty unusual uh, for the prophets. So he tells us his job and where he's from. Uh, he's a shepherd from Tekoa, uh, which was located in the, so- in the south, uh, below Jerusalem and, and toward the Dead Sea. Um, but for a brief time, God calls him out of his shepherding work uh, and into service, service as a prophet in the northern king, kingdom of Israel. So since he was from uh, Judah in the south, this would have made him a foreigner in, uh, in the, the northern kingdom. So a pretty surprising person uh, for God to call to service, but that's often how the Lord works, right? He calls surprising people um, into uh, to his, his purposes. So uh, Amos prophesies after the nation's been divided, um, but before the Assyrian threat uh, is in the picture. Uh, so, nor- so it's important context-wise that you, we keep in mind that both the north and the south are standing and they're standing with strength uh, and confidence. Uh, his day was one of the most prosperous times in Israel's history um, since Solomon's day. 
Um, so Amos's message would have come with some unexpected uh, suddenness and shock to, to his hearers. Uh, and as we're going to see, disaster is coming uh, for the people. Um, and just as Joel, we saw last week, Joel used a locust plague um, to point to Israel's coming disaster. Uh, Amos also uses a historical event, event to, um, to emphasize the severity of his message. Anybody pick up what that historical event was in verse 1? It's an earthquake, all right? So... Yeah. Um, so in in that that first verse, um, no, not in that not not in that time. But this apparently this earthquake um, was was a big earthquake and a noteworthy earthquake. It's so big um, that even the prophet uh, Zechariah uh, is going to mention it in Zechariah fourteen five. Um, and perhaps this earthquake um, was something that God was using to really drive home for Israel um, uh, the severity of, of Amos's message and their, their need to depend upon the Lord and to turn back to him um, in faith. So I think it's appropriate, this earthquake, to kind of help you think about Amos's message as kind of like an earthquake warning of, of sorts, that an earthquake is coming and an even worse earthquake. Enough, I never learned of earthquakes in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, and here we've got one in Amos right there in the first verse. This is new to me. Yep, yep. You learn new things all of your life reading the Bible. It, yep, it's it's constantly updating itself like that, right? Yep. Yep. Fun stuff. We haven't even gotten into the rest of the the book yet. We're just in the first verse and we're already learning something new. Um, our, he is. Praise God. Um, all right, so that's, um, so that's kind of the, just the context, historical background. Understanding, we're going to turn now to the theme on your handout. Um, so understanding the book of Amos really requires knowing who the book's main character is. And it's not Amos, and it's not God's people. It's the Lord God. He's the main character of this book. And he, and he introduces himself. So we've got that earthquake in the first verse, and then the Lord shows up, and he speaks in the second verse. Um, And here's what he says. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Um, So just consider how the Lord introduces himself right there. Um, The Lord roars from Zion. Um, Now, what do we think of normally as roaring? Roaring, maybe in our context here in Arkansas. We don't have a lot of lions in Arkansas. No, but you go to you, you go to the, the zoo, circus, the circus. right? You go to the circus. Um, I think probably when we, in our context, yeah, maybe we think about lions, but in our context, maybe we think about the the waterfalls across our state or uh, a, the crowd at a Razorback game roars. Um, but a lion would have been uh, what these people. Um, and this context would have heard um, before they thought of waterfalls or ocean waves or a Razorback game. Um, so flip over to flip over to three eight chapter three verse eight. So here we're going to kind of double click in the way the Lord introduces Himself in one two. The lion has roared, 
who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So the Lord's roar here is the roar of a roaring lion. Um, God's word is coming to God's people abruptly, ferociously, uh, unexpectedly, just as a lion on the prowl would have come. Um, and this, this kind of helps us get at the sobering content of Amos's message. Um, so just, just look at one uh, at verse 2 again, chapter 1. Does it sound like the Lord is pleased with his people? No. Right? This is not a, this is not a comforting roar. Um, he's, coming, he's, he's coming with the roar of a lion. And not just any earthly lion, but where's this lion roaring from? From, from Jerusalem, from Zion. Yep. Um, so Yahweh himself, the Lord's covenant people, he's stirring. He's roaring as the judge of heaven and earth. Uh, and he's not roaring for his people, but he's roaring against his people. Um, so I think a, a good summary sentence for Amos goes something like this. You can see it on your hand out there. Yahweh is righteously angry because his people are exploiting their own kinsmen. And, he's dis- and they're despising the righteous and his word. So he's, uh, he's exploiting their own kinsmen and despising the righteous and, and his word. And Yahweh, Yahweh is really angry about two things, um, as, we, as we thought about just a second ago. His own people are acting corruptly by trying to get rich off of the oppression of their kinsmen. Um, so they're... they're not treating their own brothers and sisters in the covenant community uh, as family. Um, And secondly, because his people despise those who are righteous and they despise the word of Yahweh. So they despise the righteous and the word of Yahweh. Um, So what what Amos really is saying is that, um, you know, with this earthquake that we thought about uh, in verse 1, is that if, if God's people don't repent uh, from their sinful economic practices and their abuse and their oppression um, of the poor, then Yahweh will come in judgment and he's going to shake the earth. He's going to shake God's people unlike any earthquake uh, the world has ever seen. Um, and you can imagine how that, that message in a time of prosperity for God's people would have made Amos like the most popular guy in the land, right? No, right? He's, he's pretty unpopular. Um, this is an unpopular message, something God's people don't want to hear, aren't thinking about, aren't prepared for. Um, and then only a generation later, um, the north is going to be swept away entirely by the Assyrians. Um, a swift fall from a very lofty place um, for the northern kingdom. Um, so let's turn to, to Amos's message now um, and see how God's judgment is going to get played out uh, throughout the course of the book. So first thing I want us to see in, in the message is that God judges the nations. So God judges the nations. The first, that's the first thing that we're going to see uh, in the book. And though the focus is on Israel, uh, the first chapters of Amos are going to be uh, our prophecies against the surrounding nations. Um, of Israel. So you can see in, in 1 3, 
the attentions on Damascus uh, in 1.6, uh, the attentions on Gaza uh, in 1.9, uh, the attentions on, on Tyre, uh, 1.11, it's on Edom, uh, 1.13, Ammon, 2.1, Moab. Um, so those are some of the Gentile nations um, surrounding uh, the uh, uh, God's covenant people in Amos' day. And look at what, what God judges them for. So look at verse, uh, verse 3. Here he's judging Damascus. Because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Um, meaning that she's, um, she's pillaged and robbed and left Gilead barren. Uh, and then in one six, God judges Gaza uh, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them to Edom. And then in one eleven. Um, the, the judgment for Edom comes because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Um, we're going to go into God's judgment of Edom uh, in more uh, specificity when we get to Obadiah uh, here in just a little bit. And then in one thirteen. He judged Ammon because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their borders. Um, so these are, these are sins of severity, cruelty, oppression, slavery, um, murder. Uh, they're big, obvious war crimes on kind of a grand global scale. Um, and even though the Gentile nations uh, had not received God's revealed law or been given tablets um, with the Ten Commandments, they, they couldn't plead ignorance of God's moral law. Um, God had still written it on their hearts. And so uh, the Gentile nations are going to face the judgment uh, of God for it. Um, and I think this helps, uh, this helps demonstrate God's universal kingship. Um, God had uniquely made Israel to be his special covenant people, um, but God is the rightful sovereign over all people and all nations under, under heaven. Um, and we, what we see here in his judgment of the nations is that he's going to hold all people, all nations, uh, accountable um, and make his universal sovereignty known. Um, so whether or not you've heard the gospel or someone else has, has not heard the gospel, um, we are all accountable for uh, our actions and we all are going to answer God uh, one day for our sins. Um, so I think this is, this is a helpful reminder for us that there are no good people um, in the world. There are only guilty people who have rebelled against their maker, who've sinned against him, and we will all be judged by him one day. Um, and that's why all people need to hear the gospel um, so that we can uh, repent and, uh, and turn, to, to, um, turn to him in faith. Um, so God judges the nations. It's the first thing um, that the message of Amos is going to introduce us. But God doesn't stop at judging the nations. Um, he especially judges his own people. And this is the second point there on uh, your handout. So in chapter 2, four, in chapter, uh, two verse 4, there begins a prophecy against Judah. Uh, and then in two, chapter 2, verse 6, you get a long prophecy against uh, Israel. Um, and with those first prophecies, um, 
the, uh, against the nations, uh, Gaza, Damascus, uh, Edom, God's people are probably doing what at that point when they're hearing like, hey, I'm going to judge Damascus. I'm going to judge Edom and Gaza. Praise God, right? Thumbs up. We like the sound of that. Um, but now the, the target is put specifically on, on God's people. Um, so there's a sense in which like um, Amos is saying, don't get ahead of yourself there guys um the your sins are not going to be overlooked by by god um, and in fact the prophets are a, a lot more critical of uh of god's own people condemning them um even further um because they're in covenant relationship with yahweh and they ought to know better um than the gentiles so look at chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. There you can hear that covenant reference, um, covenant relationship there. Um, Verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So God had uniquely chosen Israel to be his covenant people. They were supposed to be lights to the Gentiles, displaying the glories of, uh, of the one true God, Yahweh. But instead, they behaved just as corruptly and immorally as the Gentiles, and in many ways, even worse. Um, and then there are two broad categories for sins uh, that Israel is judged for in Amos. Um, first, there are sins of economic, uh, social, political injustice. And then secondly, there are religious sins, um, moral sins, sins of idolatry, neglect of God's word, and faithlessness to the covenant. So let's look at that, that first kind, the sins of, uh, of economic injustice. So as we, as we thought about just a second ago, Israel was in a period of, brief, of luxury uh, and peace, but in their plenty, they were full of social and political injustices. So look at um, chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So, um, and then in, in chapter 4, verse 1, flip over there. Um, here he announces uh, his word to the women of Israel who specifically are press, oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. And then flip over to chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Still, he's still speaking to his covenant people here. They hate him who reproves in the gates, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but they shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. 
For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Um, so these, these are the kinds of, of crimes that God's people um, were committing against one another. Um, so much for displaying the character of God to the surrounding nations, right? Um, they're, not even, they're not even displaying it to one another. Um, so Israel's guilty of slavery, corruption, bribery, favoritism towards the rich, exploitation of the poor, um, all of which was co- explicitly contrary to them um, uh, and God's will for them. Um, so think about um, in Exodus 23, 6, God had shown specific concern uh, to the poor and his law, Exodus 23, 6. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, 11, um, there God said, There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Um, but in Amos's day, Israel mocked God's concern for the poor, abusing and oppressing uh, their own kinsmen for their own economic gain and prosperity. And so God rightly judges them for it. Um, so question for, for us to consider, what, is, um, what do you think this reveals to us about how God feels about injustice in the world? What does this reveal to us about God's feelings about injustice in the, in the world? What does, it, what does it tell us or teach us about God's heart for the oppressed, for the victimized, for the abused. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, he's not. Yep. He's not indifferent to it. I mean, I'm sure. He's not indifferent to it. I mean, um, I've always heard that, you know, um, you're, well, I don't know if you're really punished for your sins, but you will, you will be held accountable to the Lord. Yeah, yeah. So everyone will be held accountable. Yep. Each and every person on this world has ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. So Putin is going to be held accountable to the Lord. Yeah. And God bless him. God bless him because his punishment is going to be worse than. Yeah, it's going to be severe. What is yeah. anything that he's done to anybody he's hurt on this earth? Yeah. And it's going to be eternal. Yeah. Eternal. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Oh no. Um, but I was gonna like, especially since they're the ones that are like representing the Lord to others. It's not because like 
unbelievers are obviously going to act like unbelievers. Yeah. It breaks the Lord's heart, Lord's heart, but us doing that or like them doing that when it's just the ambassadors of Christ or like yeah. the Lord, like that's, I think, in a way, it's like, I'm screaming when you're just not yeah. unbelievers. You're not just an unbeliever. You like are professing to believe in me and in the Lord's yeah. steps. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, I, I think you sum all that up at the end of the day. God cares about any injustice that gets done on this this uh, planet, any oppression, any anybody who's who's victimized, anybody who's abused and oppressed, uh, and He's going to do something about it. Um, and it may feel like that is delayed injustice uh, to us, but God's going to act, and when He acts, He's going to act swiftly. Um, and He's He cares so much that He's going to judge. Uh, the whole world. He's going he's gonna to hold everyone uh, accountable for how we've treated other people. Um, whether that's whether we're in God's covenant community now or we're outside of it, um, God's judging all of us. So remember Jesus' own words uh, in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. We're not going to turn there or flip there, but um, remember there, it's, that's where he says that when he returns to judge the world, um, that judgment is going to be partially based on how we've treated um, other people, particularly those who've been trodden down um, by, um, by the world. And then James is going to echo that same point uh, in James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep, one, keep one's self unstained from the world. Um, so I think here in Amos and, and in the New Testament, we see that a failure to show concern for the poor uh, shows a misunderstanding really of our own fragile situation, um, that uh, of our own pressing dependence upon God and need for his merciful attention to us and the poverty um, of our sin. So a religion that allows its adherence, just as Claire was noting, uh, to take advantage of the poor uh, to oppress the righteous, to obstruct justice, ignore God's uh, warnings, that's actually a false religion. Um, and God's going to judge us for that. And so I think we should really do some, some good heart surgery here. Um, we, should, we should think about how our own heart's attitude uh, towards money, um, what is it? What does it look like um, personally? Do we crave it for ourselves? Uh, or are we welcoming it as a tool uh, that God has lent us to bless others with, uh, life and ministry? Um, are we resentful, uh, stingy, cheerful uh, in our giving, as God calls us to do? Um, what's our posture to those in need? Uh, so at UBC, we have things like a benevolence fund uh, that we use to uh, bless uh, those among us who are in need. And I wonder sometimes if you think with that benevolence fund, like, are you inwardly thinking that it's just a waste of like our, the church's hard earned dollars? Um, or it's a, hard, it's a waste of hard earned, my hard earned money that I'm giving to the budget. I'd rather see it go. Well, then don't give to it, that's what you feel. Yep. Um, but that, if that's how we feel, that's, a, that's one way that we need it to be kind of, th- kind of thinking about our own heart's posture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, Maybe does our own relative prosperity kind of puff us up? Does it lead us to pride? Does it lead us to arrogance? Um, are we 
kind of unconsciously finding ourselves gravitating to those in our body who are wealthy, who are, um, you know, who are prosperous in the world's eyes. Those are the kinds of things that's good for us to consider corporately as a church and individually uh, as Christians. Um, and I think those are some, some ap- good application things for just us to consider from Amos. Um, but there's a second way that God's people are judged. Um, it's not just for their economic uh, injustices, um, but God judges them for their moral sins. He judges them for their moral religious sins. Um, and this is where they, get, they really get judged differently than their Gentile neighbors. Um, so Judah in chapter 2, verse 4. Um, yeah, going back to chapter 2. No, <clears throat> so chapter 2, verse 4. Um, about Amos. Yeah, we're in Amos. Sorry, we're still in Amos. Still in Amos. No, I'm talking about... Uh, um, so chapter 2, verse 4, judgment on Judah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those who, after which their fathers walked. Um, and then in 2.12, uh, Israel is going to command the prophets not to prophesy. So basically going to tell God's prophets, stop telling us what God is saying to us. We don't want to hear it. Um, and then uh, in two, chapter 2, verse 8, we... Or, Chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we learn that uh, Israel is apparently practicing cult prostitution um, in the land. Um, and that's there Amos alludes to it when he says, A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Um, and then... They're going to actually belittle God's God and uh, God's and the vows to Him. Um, for example, by making Nazarites drink wine, uh, which is something that the the Nazarites had taken a vow not to do. Um, so what we learn here is that um, that God's election, His love, His His chosen love that He placed on His people, it's not a blank check to irresponsibility. Um, it's not. Um, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a free pass for us to live uh, with loose moral standards or to presume upon the grace of God. Um, but rather, that should, that should heighten our responsibility and our allegiance uh, to live uprightly before the Lord. It's uh, God's election of, of Israel was actually to motivate their personal holiness. Um, so Amos... Uh, he didn't think that being God's chosen people uh, meant Israel was now free to live however they pleased. Um, he believed it, actually, believed it actually obligated them to live in accordance with the standards of the very God who had called them uh, out of Egypt. Um, so so I, I think that's a good lesson for us to keep in mind. Um, election should never lead uh, God's people to presumption, um, but but to greater moral responsibility, greater um, greater allegiance to God, 
Um, God's people, um, God's people here were seen in Amos had been uh, given God's revealed w- will, and so uh, they're capable now of of a greater kind of sin. Right? They're now neglecting God's word. Um, again, you look at three two. We saw this this earlier. Um, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. This is the same thing we're going to see in the New Testament. Same kind of, uh, same kind of words going to come to us. So think 1 Peter 1.15. 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, um, the Lord, you also be holy in all your conduct. Um, 1 Peter 2.9, he says, uh, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So there you can hear how God's uh, salvation of his people is meant uh, to motivate uh, their holiness. Or Ephesians 1. Um, Paul's going to tell us um, that the intended end of God's gracious salvation uh, is, is holiness. So uh, Ephesians 1, 3, He chose us and Him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Um, so, um, so I think that's just good for us to keep in mind. Um, that we are meant to be uh, holy as God, as the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, Amos also talks about the character and the cause of God's judgment. So this is the third point on your handout. God judges with justice and certainty. Um, in Amos 7, 7, chapter 7 to 9, um, we see that God is going to judge uh, his people with certainty and justice. Um, so... Uh, we get a series of visions in these three chapters, 7, 8, and 9, about God's judgment. Um, flip over to chapter 7, verses 7 to 9. We'll take a look at one of these visions. So this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So a plumb line is a cord with a weight on the end of it. So a craftsman or an engineer uh, would hold one end of, end of the cord, and the weight ensures that the cord hangs straight up or down. Um, Wes, you probably use something like this in your line of work often, maybe? Not, not at the office. Not, a, not at the office, but when you're out, yeah, when you're out uh, on, a, on a site somewhere. Um, so really, this was a tool used for measuring uh, true verticality, used to measure how well built a wall uh, wall was um, so in other words a a plumb line was a as a, me- a a standard of perfection how you're measuring uh, whether or not a wall was rightly built 
And in this vision, God is measuring Israel uh, against his, his own perfect standard. He's the plumb line. Um, and he finds Israel severely lacking. Their, the wall is out of, out of whack. Um, and the focus is on the perfection and the precision uh, of God's judgment. And Israel's missing the mark uh, big time. So think about how Jesus, uh, Jesus brings us to bear on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48. You, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So because God's standard is perfection, um, God justly finds his people lacking, and then he judges them according to that perfection. Um, so Matthew 19, uh, you'll remember there, Jesus' Jesus's disciples rightly despaired about the possibility of salvation, um, understanding that because God's standard is perfection, salvation's impossible for sinful people. It's, it's something we cannot do for ourselves. So how can we be saved then? We need a merciful God, right? We need um, a God who, who judges with mercy. And this is that, that fourth point. Um, and that... Huh? Oh yeah. 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 Basically, every time God opens His mouth, right, we're getting a plumb line of sorts, and we're missing the mark. Um, so that's that's a great point. Um, so we need a God who judges with mercy. That's the only hope that we have. That's the only hope, only hope uh, that we have. Otherwise. That standard of perfection, uh, it's impossible for us to meet. Um, and so just as we saw last week in Hosea and Joel, um, just as we saw in, in Isaiah, uh, the prophets always end on this note of grace and mercy. No matter how long the accusations and the pronouncements of judgment are, no matter how long uh, the list of offending nations, the prophets always end their message with a promise of salvation. Amos is no different. Amos is no different, even though the emphasis is, is on God's judgment. Um, so flip over to uh, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 again. We read this earlier. Or no, we didn't read these verses. Um, here, God is going to tell. He's foreshadowing his salvation. Um, and he tells his people how they can escape the coming judgment. And that way is through repentance. So uh, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So you can hear God's mercy uh, right there. His offer of salvation, his call to repentance. We thought about that a couple weeks ago when we were thinking through uh, just how implicit in every, uh, every promise of judgment is a call for us to repent and turn from our sins and trust Him. Um, and then God even displays His mercy in action in the book. Um, so in chapter 7, God gives Amos two visions of judgment, uh, fire and a plague of locusts. 
Um, both And both times, Amos cries out and asks God to forgive his people and to relent. And both times, God relents. Um, so we see his mercy in action uh, in the book. Um, and then in the book's conclusion, flip over to chapter 9, um, Amos is going to return to this promise of mercy and salvation. And he, he prophesies about the coming day of judgment, the day of the Lord. Um, and in chapter 9, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11, God says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is, in fa- that is fallen and repair, repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Um, so the day of judgment, the day of the Lord was a day of judgment. Um, but this day will also see the restoration of David, of David's fallen tent. Um, so the kingdom's going to be united. The exiles will return. Yahweh will remember his promises of old. And the people, again, are going to experience and taste and enjoy um, his covenant love. And then the, the, the final verses of the book, chapter 9, verses 14 to 15. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Um, so this is, this is a beautiful picture of that new creation after God's final judgment, after Christ's return, uh, a return to the paradise that God has always intended uh, for his people to enjoy. Um, and note how these last verses are really a reversal of the earlier judgment that we thought about, we saw in chapter 5, verse 11. Um, so flip, flip back there. Well, that will be here on earth. No, that's the final, final judgment, after God's final judgment. Then here on earth. Christ's return. Um, and the new heavens and the new earth. Talking about that that big eschatological. Remember that word, Amber. Yeah. Thinking so, thinking very very in very end times there. Yep. You're you're studying your vocabulary words. So five eleven. This is a reversal of what we saw there in nine fourteen and fifteen. It's a reversal of what we what um, God God says in five eleven. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. Um, so you can hear how, how those, that curse is getting reversed um, in those last verses. Um, and then finally, we're going to see that God's mercy extends to all of God's people, um, including Gentiles. So flip back to the last 9.12. Look at 9.12. chapter 9 verse 12 Um, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by by my name declares the Lord uh, who does this Uh, so there God is promising uh, that Israel restored Israel is going to possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations now, is that possess language? Is that possess a good thing for the nations? 
um, meaning that they get to share in Israel's blessing, or is it a possessive conquer? Yep. So in Acts 15, yep, I think Amber's onto something. So in Acts 15, James is, uh, James is speaking to the council of Jerusalem. Um, that's trying to figure out, they're trying to make sense of why all these Gentiles are turning to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts 15 verses 16 to 17, um, James actually quotes this verse from Amos. Um, and he's saying that with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, David's house is rebuilt, and now it's a home for Jew and Gentile alike. Um, the, the nations are going to be flooding into uh, to God's house. And now all who repent, um, just as Amos was preaching uh, in, five, in chapter 5, um, and put their faith in Jesus, are included in that end-time salvation. And so here, buried in the midst of Amos' prophecy of judgment uh, against the nations and God's people, we see that all the nations of the earth uh, will be blessed through Israel. Uh, those covenant promises uh, are still intact, uh, even though uh, the whole world has been unfaithful to their maker, um, God's steadfast love endures uh, forever. So that's, that's really the message of Amos right there. Um, any questions before we move on uh, to Obadiah? Uh, Acts 15, Acts 15, verses 16 to 17. Yeah, he quotes, quotes uh, Amos 9:12. All right, we're gonna get through. Oh, there was our question. Go, Jennifer. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, any other thoughts from the room? <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, well, there's certainly a hope in, in the character of God and His justice. Yeah. So if you're being oppressed, you go to the prophecy of Amos. You know, there's some encouragement in that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think Wes is right. Um, again, even those those who are being oppressed, those who are victimized, they're still they're hearing this and going, okay, I need I need to not put my hope in prosperity or the reversal of those things, even in this life. Um, as much as I long for that, um, my hope needs to be in this God who is going to one day vindicate me um, and vindicate those who are oppressed, those who are victimized. And so I think they, they need to hear that message in a different way, but the principle is still the same for them. Um, and I think that's, that's where Obadiah uh, takes us here in just a second. That's a really good question, Jennifer. And cannot the poor also be tempted in the same way? Sure. Other gods, in this case here, a god that would save them in a sinful way. You know, yeah. Give me, give me this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all deal with the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just manifest itself in a different way. Well, I don't have money, but I'm I'm fine with that. I I desire God more than I desire money. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think the principle is the same whether we're prosperous or we're in poverty, right? I, mean, so, I had my wreck and that, that kind of blew off my, my desire to be a famous reporter, editor, reporter. That, that, never, that never happened because I was majoring in broadcast journalism, so I wanted to be a reporter. Yeah. You know, but I, obviously I can't do that now. But you are rich in Christ, but sister. Amen. All right. Um, Obadiah is much shorter, so I know you're looking at the clock going, how are we going to get through a whole book in 10 minutes? Oh, yeah. we've, we've only got 20, 21 verses to get through, so we'll I think we got this. Um, so Amos and Obadiah, lots of connection. Um, we saw in Amos 9.12 uh uh, that Amos prophesies that Israel will ex- exercise sovereignty um, over, over Edom. And in chapter 1, 11 of Amos, we saw that God was going to judge the nation of Edom for her sins against Israel. Um, well, the, the entire book of Obadiah is really an extension of those two verses. Amos 9, 12, Amos 1, uh, 11. Now, Obadiah is, is unique as a book because he's the only prophet we've studied so far uh, to address neither the northern or the southern kingdoms um, of Judah and Israel. Um, instead, Obadiah's prophe- prophecy is entirely against the Gentile nation of Edom. Entirely against the Gentile nation of Edom. Um, and Edom is significant because their relationship with the covenant people goes a long way back. So who, uh, who are the descendants of Edom? Anybody remember? No. Esau, right? So the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, who was Jacob's brother. Um, Edom is Israel and Judah's national cousin of sorts. Um, but what's more important is that Edom has, has really been an oppressive Uh, cousin and neighbor to God's people. And where Amos ends with the salvation of the remnant of Edom, Obadiah is going to prophesy against Edom. Um, So this this book is about Yahweh's covenant commitment to defend and vindicate his people's enemies. Um, It's about his commitment to defend and vindicate his people's enemies. Um, So we could simply summarize Obadiah's message uh, like this. Yahweh will judge those who arrogantly mistreat his people. Um, And you can see that on your handout right there. Um, So Edom had a long history of arrogantly mistreating the covenant people. Um, We're not going to have time to look at all the biblical uh, references, um, but Genesis 2740, uh, you see... Uh, you see some of the roots of that, that relationship, Genesis 27, 40. Numbers 20, 14 to 21. I don't think I got these on your handout. I should have. Um, Numbers 20, 14 to 21. 1 Samuel 14. 2 Samuel 8. All reference um, some of the ways that Edom had arrogantly mistreated uh, God's people. 
And now, uh, in Obadiah, Yahweh's long-suffering um, has kind of come to an end. Amber, I can give them to you after class. Um, and the, the day of the Lord, which we saw in Amos, um, which is going to be a day of reckoning for all the nations, um, it's also in view here in Obadiah. So look at Obadiah verse 15. This day of the Lord. Obadiah verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon, upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Um, so here we see that, that Edom is kind of a representative of all the nations um, that are, um, are going to experience um, the day of the Lord in these last days um, and, ju- and God's judgment, especially those who arrogantly mistreat God's people. Um, we got three, there are three big sections in the book. Um, you can see those on your handout. Ha- your handout. Um, the, the first verse, the first nine verses, um, God promises to judge Edom uh, repeatedly. Repeatedly. So you get this sentence of coming destruction for Edom. So verse 2, look at verse 2 of Obadiah. Uh, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Uh, In verse 4, he promises um, to bring down uh, the nation of Edom. And then in verse 6, he's going to note how Esau has been pillaged and his treasures sought out. Uh, Then in verse 8, Uh, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? And then in verse 15 again, um, as we just saw, the, um, the the day of the Lord is near upon the nations. As you have done, speaking uh, to Edom, it shall be done to you. Uh, Your deeds shall return on your own head. Uh, so Obadiah, you can hear, is echoing the message that Amos had for all the nations uh, surrounding Israel. Um, all nations, all people are accountable uh, to God for their actions. Um, and this is especially relevant for us today, right? Uh, Obadiah was announcing judgment against people that did not know uh, God, did not acknowledge him, had no place for him uh, in their lives. Um, so these are, these are people not not unlike people of our own day, not unlike our non-Christian neighbors and co-workers. Uh, and while Obadiah may not feel like a very natural place to start sharing the gospel with them, um, I think its message is very relevant and its warning of coming disaster for those who reject God uh, is, uh, it, should, it should ring in our ears and it should spur our evangelistic efforts. Yeah, or, or ignore him. It should, it should compel us uh, to, uh, to preach the hope of the gospel to those who don't know Christ. And it should produce humility in our own hearts, right? Because uh, this coming destruction was once coming for us. Uh, but praise God, it's not now in Christ. Um, second, second section of Obadiah, verses 10 to 14. We're almost done. Um, why was God judging Edom? What were their sins? Well, in verse 3, we see that it's specifically for their pride. Um, Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. 
you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Um, so the, the Edomites lived in, um, in the mountains, and their capital, Petra, was, was you couldn't impenetrate it. You couldn't penetrate it. Uh, and uh, they believed that they were an unconquerable people. And so they, they taunted. The do what? Is that the current Petra? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Where's Petra? In Jordan. Right, it's in Jordan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, at least that region, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so in verse 4, God says that he's, he's going to actually bring them down um, to the ground. He's going to take them down from their lofty place and humble them. Um, and then God also promises judgment because Edom is oppressing God's people. Um, and this is an interesting addition to the prophet's message um, we saw in Amos that the pagan nations were judged for general cruelty and God's people were judged for uh, turning against the Lord. And now we have an entire book of the Bible, especially and specifically written to announce judgment on a pagan nation for how it treated God's people. Um, and again, we're hearing that God cares for his own. He cares for his people. Um, so look at verses 10 to 11 of Obadiah. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Um, and then he's going to go on for another few verses uh, about how Edom either stood by passively while others oppressed God's people, or actively took part in that oppression. Um, and there are a number of examples of Edom's violence uh, against God's covenant people, uh, which I wish we could go into, but we just don't have the time. Uh, but what matters is that, is that here is that we see that God cares for uh, his people. And this should, this should really encourage us in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile uh, towards us as God's people. Um, and then that last section here, just wrapping it up, Obadiah 17 to 21. Um, here we end in that note of God establishing his kingdom uh, again. Um, we get that, that day of salvation and vindication for those people who were once persecuted. Um, Obadiah prophesies uh, that the land of Edom will be possessed by God's people and the land will become part of God's kingdom. So verse 19, those of the Negev, shall possess Mount Esau. Uh, verse 21, saviors shall go up to Mount, Zion, Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So in the end, just like we saw uh, in Amos, God's people are vindicated, God triumphs, and his salvation, the salvation of his people um, is, is completed. Right, And we see this uh, we see this day anticipated throughout the New Testament, um, Christ's return, the day of the Lord, uh, when God's people are vindicated. And until that day, we're called to love God's enemy, love those who persecute us, those who are our enemies in this life. Um, so we've got to keep, keep that in mind. God will vindicate his bride, but we're called to love our enemies and wait for him uh, on that day.
Well, we got to be witnesses to other people. Amen. Amen, Amber. But it says saviors shall go up to Mount Zion. But saviors, who does that include? Yeah, I, um, I, think, I think he's just talking about um, that salvation is coming for God's people. Um, so, oh, okay. yeah. I don't know that he's got multiple messiahs in he mind does. there that he's, that he's pointing that. to. Yeah. All right, let me pray for us, guys. Father, we thank you for the word. Uh, we thank you for its encouragement. We thank you that you do, in fact, vindicate and care for your people uh, and that this day of the Lord is coming. Help us to wait for it in faith and with patience and in love uh, in this life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.